3: Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. (laughs) www.backofthenest.com.
3: Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My full name is Christopher and my surname is Hambling, and together that makes me Christopher Hambling! I'm your host as we look back at another tough game in a difficult run for Palace. This time out Roy Hodgson took a fully fit squad to face Frank Lampard's young Chelsea side at Stamford Bridge. A stoic and reserved Palace performance saw off the hosts up until half-time, but a Tammy Abraham strike left Palace with a mountain to climb and a distinct lack of mountaineers on the bench. Uh, Christian Pulisic header condemned Palace to a 2-0 defeat until the 86th minute, which saw Palace register their solitary effort on target. Uh, we'll be looking at, uh, looking at the game in a bit more detail, but also focusing on the debate raging after a run of one point from four games, which has seen the team slip lower down the league. I'll introduce you to my panel in just a moment.
1: views, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp 0203 575 126.
3: Right, it's introduction to the panel time. I can try and speak a little bit better than I did in the intro, but um hey, I haven't really got time to re-record it. And you know, words are difficult at times, aren't they? So let's talk to Mr. DR Kerners. Hello DR. Hello. So um Troubling times troubling times for you obviously you' at university these days got yourself back home to uh, to the to parents' gaff and uh, and got a little excited didn't you a- ate yourself ate so much food in preparation for the week ahead that you um you vomited like a Roman emperor
4: uh yeah um yesterday and today i've been going at it i haven't been stopping it's like yeah i should have i should have took a break but you know you have to fill yourself up for the upcoming week and you have to save money it's it's tight right now so
3: i had to do what i had to do yeah i mean i think the vomiting part kind of undoes some of that work um Mm, yeah but at least i was full
4: i felt what it was like to have a full stomach (laughs) (laughs) i haven't felt that feeling
3: in a while so yeah but they, um, you know, I sort of hinted at it there, and Mike knows a fair bit about Roman history, and that's Mike Scott, who we'll be talking to in just a moment. But, um, they, you know, they used to do that in Rome. They used to have vomitoriums, um, and things. Although I believe it's slightly misunderstood. Let's bring you in, Mike. Slightly misunderstood that they didn't necessarily use it specifically to vomit from overeating, but uh, it was an option.
0: Yeah, I mean, my expertise is more in ancient. Greece than Rome, but from, oh, from what so I understand, well, yeah, from what I understand, no, it, we do kind of dramatize it a bit, but there is a story. I think it's in a uh, Petronius. I think I, I'm sure someone will know um, that they used to pick from one person into another person's mouth and then back again mm. to try and uh, to mm. t- try and clean clean themselves out so that they had plenty of room for more food, and they'd have you know like twenty five courses dinners, which I'm sure is what DR um, does at his kebab shop. <laughs> yeah, thoughts,
3: deal.
4: So wait, so they couldn't puke on the floor, they had to puke at each other? I mean, like, they, kid, they, they, they could puke on the,
0: the floors, uh, yeah, because the slaves would come and clean it up, but in order so that they could keep going, so that they got as much sick as possible, they'd stick into someone's mouth, who'd stick it back that would be so disgusting that they did it again and it would keep happening. So they had enough, you know, after fifth, I don't know, 10 courses, so they had room for another 10 courses.
3: It puts me into mind of uh, the film, the Goonies where, uh, where uh, Chunk is explaining how he was in a, the worst thing he ever did was in a cinema where he ate lots of food, got really, really sick and then created like a vomit wave in the cinema. Um, watch the Goonies. If you haven't great film. Um, Anyway, let's stop talking about vomit and start talking about climate change. Dr. You had an interesting theory about Liverpool's rise to prominence.
4: Um, yeah, I did, but I was just waffling. I don't think the listeners want to hear me waffle right now about climate change. <laughs> no? no, it was pre-show, and I was just waiting um, for the show to start, so I started waffling. Well, fair enough. Life. I
3: mean, I'll give I'll give the listeners the highlights. Liverpool were successful as a direct result of climate change. That's Dr.'s theory. Uh, perhaps he'll expand on it another week. Uh, And Mike and Dio had some questions to you about um, referee Mike Dean and baldness in general
0: well he pointed out that uh, Mike Dean really should get rid of that last bit of hair on the top of his head and then uh, said that climate change is directly responsible for for baldness (laughs) Um, I I hadn't heard that before but I thought well if that's Mm. the case then that's got to be for men and women Um, and then Mm. producer Sam had said also that she'd heard that there, there had been more balding amongst women so all in all, we haven't talked to any Palace uh, whatsoever because of yesterday's result.
3: Well, well, exactly. And um, listen, I I have some sympathy with Mike Dean. You know, it's very difficult to accept that you're a that you're a bald man and to just to get rid of it all. But you know, sometimes you you do have to accept these things. Um, personally, you know, it's it's very difficult. I can get quite lazy, and then it looks like I'm trying to go for a comb over, but it's not the case. You know, anyway.
0: I, I just want to. Talk about a bit of pain with, with hair this week. Um, cut my own hair. I used to have a mate that um, cut it for me at a Posh Barbers in, in London, but um, I couldn't justify keep demanding free haircuts, so I did it myself. And I wasn't paying any attention uh, and just like put on the, the, the wrong size clipper and cut a massive chunk out of my hair. So I pretty much had to cut it all off this week, and it was pretty cold in Ch- Stanford Bridge yesterday.
3: Upsetting, I oh, definitely upsetting. I've done that with uh, my beard a number of times. Just gone to trim it and realised that I've got no guard on it and just hacked it all apart. Oh dear. Anyway, um, I thought, you know we were we are going to at some point. Patrick will hopefully be joining us. Um, Mike gave him some helpful technical advice just as we were setting up, and it's completely ruined his computer. However, at some point, hopefully during this recording, he will join us. But in the absence of, um, of Patrick being able to talk to us. Let's have a very we'll talk about Wilf a bit more later on, but we've got to talk about the the video from from after the game where uh someone challenges Wilf, suggesting that Reese James had him in his pocket. And um Mike, Wilf came up with quite a good response, didn't he?
0: It was it was genius. I mean, it was initially posted by Chelsea fans um that were using it as um you know, another statement saying Reese Jones had Wilf in his pocket which they'd been posting thousands of people were posting someone had said that to him into his car window as he was leaving the ground Um, obviously stopped him driving away he just rolled down the window and just said I've got your f***ing mum in my pocket rolled the window back up if you haven't seen it it's well worth seeing so a lot of Palace fans retweeted it for totally different reasons than why the Chelsea fans did um, I had a lot of respect for him. Uh, he got a lot of stick on uh, at the game and on Twitter. Uh, I think probably unnecessarily we'll go into that, I'm assuming.
4: You know what it reminded me of? It's like, you know when you're in game lobbies online and then everyone just, like, cussing each other and then there's just that one guy who just <laughs> says, yeah, your mum too. It's like, come on, Wilf. Um, but I understand his frustration because it feels like a frustrating evening for him as a whole and then you've got some guy who's just outside his car. um that's trying to annoy him so if I was Wilf I would would do the exact same thing so I can't blame the guy but it it was just funny the way he said it he rolled down his window and he just said yeah what did he say again? exactly
3: well we're going to give Sam more bleeping to do if Mike says it again but you, oh. said, you know, I'll take the swearing out. I've got your mum in my pocket, is what he said. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah,
4: it's just
3: funny. You, you mentioned the gaming stuff, and I and I feel that that's almost directed at me from our days in certain sort of Xbox games where there usually be friends or relatives of yours that would join, and I would just abuse them and tell You me know that. what, the, the mum thing <laughs> yeah, is due a
0: comeback as well. Um, I, I don't think there's been enough your mum insults for the last, I don't know, five, ten years. It's well due a comeback. And if someone's a trendsetter enough, it's Will. He's going to be able to do it.
3: Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's get uh, slightly further on with what we're going to do today. So uh, first port of call really is to publicize the WhatsApp number. We think we forgot to chuck it out yesterday. Uh, or if we did and you left us some messages, Mikey hasn't got back to us with what, what was left. So apologies, we're not going to be using any of those this week. Uh, but for future weeks, 0203 575 1266. Send us your reactions um, from the games and also use it any time during the week to ask us a question or send us a message, particularly a message of support for DR and his various obvious problems. Talking about DR, you've been uh, playing around on YouTube, haven't you?
4: Yeah, I have. Um, me and Harvey, uh, we posted some reaction videos yesterday. Also, there was an opposition uh, preview video, so you could hear from um Chelsea fan um, that was posted. But we'll be looking to do more stuff as the season goes on, so... Make sure to go and check it out. Um, back of the nest. If you type that in YouTube, then it should come up there. And yeah, if you've got any content ideas, um, just let let us know as well. We're trying to do different kind of stuff. So if you've got anything in mind, uh, tweet us or DM me or just anyone and just let us know.
3: Not just anyone. I mean, someone related to the show in some. Oh film, well, probably. of course they They're not yeah. going to tweet Trump and say, you know what. Do that. Yeah. Actually, no, do, do you can tweet Trump as well. Anyone on Back of the Nest or Donald <laughs> Trump. That, those are the acceptable tweets uh, for any ideas to help deal with the uh, video content. But I'm sure plenty more to come on that side of things. Now, if you want to get in touch, obviously, we do have accounts on uh, Instagram and, of course, on Twitter, as well as a Facebook page. Just search Back of the Nest on all of those things and you'll find us. Um, but also email as well. You can email us hi at backofthenest.com um a couple of nice emails come in of late which uh very much appreciated um i say we read everything that we get can't always use it but thank you to everyone who everyone who's got in touch and we genuinely use all of those comments to give us ideas and how we put the show together so even if you don't get named credit take the credit for for what we do on a weekly basis because it's all yours and slightly mine and these guys um so anyway um yeah, and finally, if you want to review the show in any form, it would be much appreciated if you just give us a five-star review on your chosen podcast app and help share the spread the word. It's not share the word, is it? Spread the word is the phrase. But let's crack on, right? So um, we will be taking a, a look back at the game in a little bit of detail during this first topic, but I think it's sort of time for one of those more general shows where we focus a little bit less on the game that's gone, mainly because there wasn't a huge amount Different from what we've seen a few times this season, and certainly in this difficult run. So we'll, we'll have a quick look back, quick talk about the first and second halves, some, some of the player player choices and decisions, and of course the goals. But I think we're gonna gonna go with the sort of topics of discussion that you know some of us have got involved with on social media this week and some general conversations amongst ourselves really. And we've got to start got to start talking about Roy and and the decisions that were made and and really what that shows this week. So I think it's probably worth me starting by saying. You know, I don't consider the game and the result to have been a, a massive surprise. Um, I, I think it would, you know, no matter what we did, it was always going to be a difficult game and difficult to get any points out of it. So it's not particularly that this Chelsea game and the, and the defeat and the manner of the defeat that's really an issue. I suppose it's the culmination of, of what was a run that we knew would be difficult, but we also knew that as much as you want to try and be sort of stoic about it and, and have perspective and think, you know, we, we went on a great run, got ourselves up to a high position in the table. and Now we have to accept falling a little bit down the table when we have a tough run of games. However, once you get in the middle of it and you're losing games or, or scraping one point out of 12, which is where we are, it is quite tough to take. And you do start to analyze everything and think, you know, actually, should we be being better? Is there more we can do? And that's very much been the tone on, on Twitter. Um and and the message boards and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's my kind of setting the tone for what we're going to talk about. So I think I'm going to start with just let's just talk talk about Roy. Let's talk we've talked about him a, a number of times. We have our own thoughts and feelings about him that we express on a kind of weekly basis. Fair few people very much turning against him. And I would say let's start with a consensus that people feel we are now playing football that is boring, it's uninspiring, particularly mentioned at home and home games that we're just not showing a level of ambition uh, to try and get ourselves ahead in games. We're kind of going into matches and, and the Chelsea game being a an example of just kind of accepting that it's a difficult game and we're probably going to get nothing out of it. So let's see if we can get a nil-nil. And and really the question, I guess, for, for you, Mike, and, and you, Dr, is do you think Roy is playing it too safe or do you are you one of the people who currently accepts that this is the way that Palace have to play?
4: I've accepted it a long time ago. I mean, we do play too safe, but it's not like um, it's changed drastically. Not, no, nothing has changed. I mean, we was playing this way last season as well. Our good start to the season was not the fact that we were playing great football. It was the fact that we were more clinical in front of goal at home. That's why we were in sixth place. But I've, I'm used to this type of football. I mean, going into the game, I, I was a bit, uh, I was a bit worried due to the fact that we had no attacking midfielders or no creative players on the bench. He decided to go gyro-reader world. I mean, it was a negative start from there. But, I mean, Roy's approach this season, it's, it's the same and I'm used to it. I, I guess everyone's used to it. On Online, I felt there was a lot more
0: people uh, saying vitriolic stuff, um, you know, plenty of swear words, rather than um, saying that, it was predictable um, there is there was a few comments that are uh, along that line uh, Michael Casey's one uninspiring to watch um, creativity in the team has vanished. I think that's kind of what you're alluding to um, my argument would be that if that Tompkins header had gone in gone the other side of the post and he was totally unmarked and he should have scored it um, and it was one all. Um, I don't think we'd have conceded the second and I think we would have took uh, a point and that's the fine margins of games like this. Um, so when Hodgson came out after the game and said that he couldn't fault anyone or anything uh, about the game, obviously it was delivered to the plan that he wanted. Um, I wouldn't have been against it and, and it is fine margins and it's that last couple of percent that those, those top teams are better than us. As So getting one point from the last four it's a bit disappointing, but it's not a huge surprise. And put it in perspective, it's only one point less than what Arsenal have got in that time as well.
3: Look, I think, I mean, you you pick out the the Tomkins chance, and I, I, what frustrates me about that is it's not you're not the only one to have mentioned it and said, oh, you know, that would have been one-one, it would have changed things. But you know, that's no different to pointing out the the save right right at the start of the game with Guaita saves from um, was it Pulisic right at the very very start um you know you know probably it must be no more than a couple of minutes into the game at, at most and then right before half time you know the the sort of save from Guaita and then a block from Cahill and you just think you look at those and those are goals that <laughs> chances that should have resulted in goals but for brilliant goalkeeping and and heroic defending and that's no different to a, to a player missing missing a chance so if you say that Tompkins should have scored, well then we should have been 2-0 down at half time if you're going to have that logic. And I'm sorry to be negative, but that's that's how I feel about it. I don't think, think that's an acceptable way of justifying what we did. I think where I have a problem, and it's gonna be difficult not to keep jumping about in this because it's quite a wide-ranging debate. But where I have a, a real problem is is what DR was sort of touching on earlier, which is start the game with three central defensive midfielders, and then you for the first time Roy's talked about pre-match and said yeah, I've got a full squad to choose from. So, you know, this is Roy telling us what he wants to do against a, a good team with a full, fully fit squad. This is his thinking going into the game. And the problem I have, without going on for hours and hours on end, is what does that tell us about his his idea of what happens when if we go one nil down in this game if we have to start chasing it? What has he given himself in terms of all the options available available to him in a fully fit squad? He has chosen the bench that he's chosen, he's chosen the starting lineup that he's chosen. What is he thinking? To me, it, it tells me that he's he's decided prior to that game, and the message he's given to the players is keep it tight, try and keep it nil nil or nick a goal. But if you go one nil down well, that's the game gone. That's that's how I feel. I'm I'm probably exaggerating to a point, but that's that's how it feels to
4: me. I agree with you, but i I mean, realistically, we, we are playing Chelsea. Um, I understand that you want him to play more attacking football but then again you have to also be wary that if you do play attacking football then the consequences might even be bigger and we might have lost three or four nil because they've got the players to break down our defence especially if there's holes left in behind but I mean the one thing he could have done uh, which really annoyed me is the fact that he could have put either Kamarasa or Max Meyer on the bench to balance out the bench because on the bench we already had uh, James McCarthy there so why on earth do we need Jaira Reidwald there who hasn't played a Premier League game? I, I'm, I look at this every day. I looked at this yesterday. I looked at this today as well. I think this is accurate, but he hasn't played a Premier League game, a single minute Premier League game um, till I think it was the 17-18 season uh, against Brighton. That's the last time he played in the Premier League for us. I mean, Jaira Reidwald was never going to come on. So why would you have him on the bench and leave one of Max or Camarasa out, that's that's the disappointing thing, because I knew that if we were one nil down, we have no no one else. We don't have a plan B, because there isn't no one to come on and change the game. And that's the frustrating part about it, is the fact that, all right, we approach the game like that, but you also have to be wary that it might not go towards your plan, you might have to change up, but we couldn't change up, because we had no one on the bench that could change up, and that was an annoying thing for me.
0: See, this got me thinking yesterday, because I know you tweeted out, DR, and then it got oh hundreds of likes and retweets and stuff um, on Kamarasa and Maya. Um, And I was trying to find a rationale for why this has happened. Um, And I can think of two basic points. Uh, The first is that Hodgson playing up does not want them anywhere near his side. Um, Even even though he knows he's got no one creative on his bench. Um, so, you know, he's making a statement there. Um, and secondly, is he making a statement like that because he knows that now is about the time where they start looking for players in January um, and he's hoping for a similar thing to what happens, uh, you know, last January when we got back swatting. Um, so if he genuinely thinks Kamarasa and Mayor to an extent are just not even worth bothering with, um do we do we have to trust him? Because he is a man that's made good decisions for Palace in the past. Do we just have to go, you know what, if Hodgson's not playing him, it's because they are not good enough for Palace?
4: Uh, I disagree. I don't think um, they're not playing as they're not good for Palace. I, like, I mean, Roy Hodgson, he's and he's made a couple of mistakes. I don't agree with every decision that he makes and I feel like everyone will make, even Pep, even the likes of Klopp will make mistakes as well. I mean, it's just so harsh on them. I, I honestly think it's harsh on, well, we saw what happened with Max last season when he did come on. He had a couple of good games, but he wasn't consistently on the side and this year, Camarasa. I mean, wow. Like, seriously, did he come here Um, to not play a single minute of Premier League. I mean, I think he's only played 90 minutes or five minutes or whatever of Premier League football this season. Like, why on earth did we sign him if Roy clearly had no interest in him at all? And this is where it gets a bit confusing because we always hear that, all right, the sporting director and the manager and chairman, they're all linked and they're involved with transfer discussions. But how... How are they involved? How is Roy Hodgson involved with Daga Friedman in these decisions? Because we clearly see Roy's players in McCarthy and Gary Cahill this summer. Both of them are clear Roy's players because he's given them opportunities. um, And, you know, with Gary Cahill starting and McCarthy coming off the bench. But with Kamarasa, he clearly has no interest in him. So why on earth did we spend money to sign him on, to get him on loan? And are we contributing to his wages?
3: Look, I know Roy has turned down players in the in the previous window in positions that we needed to sign players in, and and, and, and you know, but you are absolutely right. Roy, you know, the players that Roy wanted us to prioritise getting in, he has used, and the players that, that weren't necessarily on that list, he hasn't. And I think, really, you know, the the, the phrase used earlier was um, by Mike was that they're not that the players aren't good for Palace, and I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I certainly think they're not good for Roy, um, you know, because. He will and I was talking about this on Twitter earlier, but um, I was talking to um, my my cousin's boyfriend at a family event over the weekend, and he's a, a an Arsenal fan, and he was basically talking about Emery and saying the exact phrases to me that that I that I think about Roy. And he's saying, "Oh, you know, the problem with Emery is he he's got a system that he wants to play, and he's trying to force players to play in it rather than you know get the best out of the the best players that he's got." You know, and, and you know, he was talking about meza Herzl and and Bamiang and how to get the best out of those. And you could just put that exact the exact same thoughts over into my brain where I start looking at Palace and I start thinking about the, the way that I would like to see us adapt our system and our methods to get the best out of Wilfred Zaha. So how do you get the best out of Wilfred Zaha? Undoubtedly our best players player and one of our best players ever. How would you get the best out of him? Well, you want to make sure that he's on the ball. You may want to make sure he's got a constant amount of support and there's got plenty of options to aim, aim for in the area um, and make sure that the, the opposition defence is occupied enough that they can't just negate him and him alone and stop Palace playing. That's what you want to do. Similarly, if you're going to pick someone like Kamarasa or Mayer, you've got to pick a system that allows their strengths to blossom and their weaknesses to be covered by other people. So, for example, in a midfield three, instead of picking three defensively-minded midfielders and asking one or two of them in a the game to you know, get a bit forward and get a bit involved further up the pitch, you know, pick two or one defensive midfielder, have them screen, and then ask the others to... ask other people in that squad to cover the deficiencies for the sake of a bit of creativity and flair. But we don't do that. What we do is we say okay, Max, you're playing this week, but what I want you to do is completely against your nature, but what I want you to do is man-mark that player or continuously track back and make sure you're tucked in narrow. and make You know what I mean? All these things that we ask players to do, great, it's brilliant. And if they do it, you can argue they're a better-rounded player and Roy's coached something great out of them. But in reality, what you're doing is you're negating potential strengths. So we just have to accept that Roy is doing that. He has decided that the best way for him to get Palace to play and to achieve the points they need to achieve for him to have done his job properly, is to just to go with functionality over anything else and just hope that someone in the team, want, every now and then, will just work a bit of magic and get us a goal. And, I, and that's well hard said, to watch
0: for me. Very well said. Um, just to take it slightly left field for a minute, uh, producer Sam has dropped in a uh, an article uh, that I was just skim reading whilst listening to you about the fact that. Um, climate change has in fact affected <laughs> uh, hair loss in black South African women in a test that's been done so um, I think there's some more research to be done there um
3: but yeah what, well for the, I mean for the first time it sounds like di's got a point and I think he wants to
0: oh I just, sorry own. I just wanted to, to, to say the, the one thing I, I would say from having watched the game um, at far too uh, close level yesterday I was in like the first row it was very annoying um was that Chelsea did make us do precisely the things that you were talking about there, even to more to the nth degree than usual. Wilf was tracking back loads. Um, and I wonder if what you'd call um luxury players would have would have done much yesterday. I think they would have been shown up pretty, pretty heavily by a very, very good Chelsea side.
4: Um, I think this question is more directed to Hambo in particular. I mean I know you you find it boring our style of play and I don't find it uh, I don't find it fun as well watching that. But I mean, it does br- It does get us results. And if you're looking at where we are right now, I think we will stay up in the Premier League. There's no question about that. And I think that's the most important thing um, as a club right now, especially with the academy plans um, and also the stadium development. Right now, we're at a stage right now uh, where I think that the club are just content with just staying in the Premier League until we build on the academy, until we do, uh, improve the stadium, and then from then on we can push forward. And that's why I think if it comes to it, there will be no changes regarding Roy Hodgson, and that's why there's even contract extension talks because it is working to to their plan.
3: Well, look, I I would answer that in in, in a way that I did on Twitter earlier, which is to say that if I was in charge of the club, I would I would agree. Probably hundred percent agree with that. If I'm if I'm sitting in Steve Parrish's position, the decision I'm making is well you know what, the I I accept that, you know, some of the, the fans that are going to watch the games are not happy with what they're seeing in terms of the football we're playing. But my focus is making sure that the team stay in the Premier League and that we do all the things off the pitch that we need to do uh, and we try and progress in in, in that way. And I would say, cert- there's no way I, I am not saying that i would i expect the club to get rid of roy i'm saying that as a supporter i find the football difficult to watch i and i 100% do not think the current way of doing things is the only way to do things and stay in the premier league you know and, and i look on with jealousy at some of the other teams particularly some promoted teams who arguably have got worse squads than us and i love watching teams who are supposedly these lesser ability teams with these managers who aren't big names or haven't got huge amounts of experience go to you know big teams away from home and just have a proper go at them now we've had some great results against the top six and the like so if you actually analyze what i'm saying you can you can kind of poke some holes in it and just say well actually you know your the palace's record against the top six is excellent so you're talking rubbish handling but you know, we all know what we see. We all know what we're watching every week. And particular, a particular interest, although there's been a, a, an upturn in home form, it's our ambition against teams in and around us at home. Because we do play the same way every time, that's where I really find it hard to stomach. If I only had to watch Palace being negative and kind of trying to, trying to scrape out a point or hope for a goal on the break against the better teams in the league, I can live with that. It's, it's how we've operated <laughs> forever, really. But it's just having that horrible, consistent approach just continuously. And I think the problem for me is I don't fear what's happening now. I fear what we'll be left with when Roy does go, whenever that might be, because we've seen a real dearth of creativity in the side. We're really struggling to create chances. And when we do create them, we're struggling to finish them. I think the you know if you look at the last couple of games in particular, what have we created? What, maybe one or two meaningful chances at most? It's been horrible to watch. And you imagine being in a... An attacking player in that in those teams in one hundred and eighty minutes, you are just getting nothing. You are feeding off of scraps. You know what's left. Andros has already half the player he was under Allardyce because all the, all his focus has been on how to improve himself defensively. You know, I, I believe Wilf is suffering, and I believe a lot of the players in the team are suffering. And the creative players aren't ever going to get a chance. And people are writing off the likes of Max Mayer and Victor Camarassa saying they're clearly not good enough for Roy. Roy Would play them well. There's more, much more to it than that. So do jump in, Dio, but I'm conscious Patrick's joined us and we want to have a quick chat with Patrick as well.
4: Uh, yeah. So regarding that, I think that's my biggest worry as well. Um, it's the creative aspect and what's left when Roy does uh, leave the club or step down. It's the fact that I'm not convinced that Max Meyer or Camaras will be here um, by the end of uh, ten, um Bro's time at the club, but I mean, look we are jo- we joking about Wilfred Zaha um, and what he said to the guy after the game. But I feel like that's a, just a build-up of frustration of things. People have gone at Wilfried Zaha uh, this season saying how he hasn't performed good, and there has been games where you just question his effort. Is he really in it? Is he is he focused in the game? But I mean, games like yesterday, what can the guy do? Um, I feel like sometimes expectations between. Palace fans um, for Wilfried Zaha is a bit different as well I mean he's a very good footballer don't get me wrong but he's not a superstar um, and I feel like at times when he does have the ball because we're so defensive in our tactics he just doesn't have to support and he loses the ball a lot of times but that's not really Wilford Zars' fault. That's just the position he's in due to the tactics. So that's what I'm a bit annoyed about after yesterday's game when people were going at Wilford Zars saying, all right, just sell him and sell him whatever he's done. Mm. Well, is he really done or is it just the tactics that's making him look bad in the first place? Or it might be in an off day. There's just so many factors, but I feel like the tactics do really play a part in against the top six um, on how he plays because he can't really keep the
3: ball for too long. I mean, look—the the tactics definitely do have an impact. You're absolutely right, there. And I think what's also interesting—I mean, he, he undoubtedly had an off day yesterday in a very poor game by his standards, but far from the only one. And I think a lot of it was just the the sort of the lack lack of getting time on the ball. And by the time he did get it, you know, there's you know the support around him. If you look at the average positions from from the game yesterday, you know, uncharacteristically, Wilf He's very much. He is still the furthest player forward as he often is, but he's he's very much left wing. Whereas usually you'll see him roam around the pitch, so his average position ends up relatively central. Uh, but he really wasn't getting too too often getting into the central areas. He was asked to keep out wide, but the problem with that is if you're asked to keep out wide, and you know the purpose is to try and deliver some sort of service into the box, and there's just not enough there's just not enough options for him to do that. So you're absolutely right. If he gets the ball, there's not really anything to do with it. If he doesn't, if he doesn't get it, he, he gets frustrated, and we saw a, such a frustrated and dejective Wilfred Zaha yesterday. We'll talk more about him in a bit, but Patrick, we've covered a fair amount, but I just want to go back to a, a point I was sort of, we were talking around around the creativity. Rather than focus on the, the sort of gripes of that we may or may not have with the creativity in the in the side at the moment, I'm really interested to know what what you think would be an option to try and get these more creative players involved in terms of. You know what? What do we change? Who comes out of that side? What you know? What you know? Is is it really just as simple as maybe sacrifice one of the three defensive central midfielders and, and play someone just up in behind, alongside RU or something like that? Where, where do you think we're we could maybe turn that dial a little bit more towards a creative pattern of play?
5: Okay, so my issue is with Hodgson's Basically being, he just seemed to be very set in how he wants to set the team up. I mean, I noticed that, you know, we've, we're have not seeing Maya and Kamarasa at all. They weren't on the bench yesterday. Previously, he took out Townsend out the lineup. And we were negated Wilf by shunting Wolf out. Wieden tend to play defensive midfield slash winger. So, you have three players in the middle. Cuyate, MacArthur, and Luca. I would have to take one of the three out at this point. Based on form, you have to leave MacArthur in. I'd be for taking Kiyate out and putting Maya or Kamarasa in um, to kind of help take the pressure off of Wilf. And I would also start then obviously, on the other side and not have Schlapp in there. I'd also be for putting Benteke in, not because Ayu's not playing well, but because of the way that we play. I think we need to get more players in the box, heading the ball, and that comes from crosses from Wilf and from townsend and i just thought we're, just, we're not creating anything i didn't i think that the game we've lost the two nil two nil two nil four nil matches have been dross they've been terrible Mount noble memory for many of the games was the header by benteke at two 0 down versus man city i mean it, we're not creating anything it's bad it just looks bad it feels bad as a supporter of so long i heard you say it beforehand but i get what the owners are doing and i get why they'd offer um the manager a new contract but i couldn't take it because we're not progressing we just we just seem to be treading water. And again, as D.R. said, we have to stay in the Premier League. I understand that part from a business standpoint. But from a fan of, of such a long time, I think we need to do more. And maybe if he changes the line just a bit, maybe that would help.
3: It does definitely come with, with a risk. That's one thing I will say. Whenever I, I get talking about this with anybody, they always ask the question... You know, well, who comes in? You know, well, look at what happened with Charlton. Look what happened with—I don't know—trying to think of some other teams, but I like Leeds or whatever. Look at what happened, you know—happened with some pretty big clubs who got above themselves and decided that a change had to happen for them to progress. And you know, the the, the game is full of of stories like that. But you know, I always say the same thing—you know—inaction can be just as much a a, a cause for a, a tumble down the leagues as action can be. Um, but it is that difficult thing if if this if you're calling what's currently going on wrong then particularly as some people looking out for uh, looking in from the outside will say how can you at crystal palace sitting okay equal 10th slash equal 13th but how can you sit in, in mid table at this point in the league start talking about things at palace being wrong you've been in the the top division for the longest period of your entire existence you know you've got a, a, one of the best squads you've probably ever had So what on earth are you complaining about? But, you know, I think that doesn't... (laughs) There's still a legitimate case to answer in how we approach games.
0: Um, Before we bugger off into another topic, I just quickly asked you both, or all three of you, like almost a one-word answer. If we get, say, nine points from whatever the games are, Burnley, Watford, Brighton, will this same criticism still be there? Will it be... I mean, will it still be that you just know that we can get points from those games, but you're never going to get them from these ones. Is that that sort of what you're
3: saying? Not not for me. Um, You know what? You almost want one word answers. I haven't really got one word answer for you. What I can say is that results, good results will always lessen the the frustration um, of what I feel is a, I'm going to use the word that I like to use often, quite a myopic period of management. You know, I think and that that's the Premier League. It does lead push you towards short termism. And I think that's where we are at the minute. And I go back to not I don't necessarily want Roy out, but I don't necessarily want Roy in either. I'm at a place where I am currently thinking about there there must be different better ways to do this and I will accept the risk that we fail. If we if we were to make a replacement, I'll accept the the, the fear slash risk of failure for something different right now. But I I don't think that's a, an approach the club can take. For me, it's I can't do one word as well. <laughs> for me, it's results over performance.
4: And if you give me nine points um uh, for the three games that you mentioned, I have no problems with that. Um, as long as we get them points, then yeah, that's fine with me. I'm used to it's it's bad, but I'm used to the way that we play under Hodgson. And even the last three games where we didn't pick up many points, um I wasn't too angry, I was just a bit disappointed, but in this game in particular, I was just like there's a couple of things that we could do better, even though it's against a better position, but yeah, I'll take it
5: and for me, Mike, it's a great question, and I can't do one word either, but I'd be stupid to say, of course, I wouldn't take the nine points, but I had to take a look at the opportunity thats in front of us, and when we were fifth or sixth, wherever we were, I just saw maybe two or three good teams. And I saw a huge gap where where there was a potential for us to finish fifth or sixth. I really believe that at some point, but the way that Hodgson manages, I know what to expect now. He goes out and puts us out there just not to lose big to the, so quote quote better teams and to hang in there with the other teams. So that frustrates me, not because um, I don't want Paddis to do well, but I think, I think we could do better. I think there's an opportunity here for us to do better. And I just think he's not taking the opportunity because he's, set in his ways and that's how he's been successful, you know, at Blackburn, at Fulham, and with us for the most part. And I get what people say about him. I understand that. But I just think the opportunity is there for us. I think the squad is a decent enough squad to do better. But he just also, he's not a risk taker in any way, shape or form. It frustrates me as a fan to see that. So would I take the nine points of course I would, but that does not that was not a takeaway from me how he did against, you know, in this last five or six games.
0: Well I think that leads us perfectly then on to uh, our next discussion point. So we put out a poll yesterday, or I did after a few drinks, over-expensive drinks in Putney, <laughs> uh, a ridiculous part of the world, um, ter- terrible weather, terrible traffic, and six quid pints. Um, it's not, yeah, not not a fan of it. Um, so I said a bit of a split between Palace fans this evening. What side do you fall on? Um, not giving people the option to say both as, as some... S- some smart asses definitely did straight away um unacceptable shite um or beaten by a quality side and um after twenty four hours of poll pollage, sixty percent of people went for the unacceptable um and forty percent of people went for um beaten by a quality side um so the points I wanted to make from it um and i'm I'm only playing devil's advocate here. Um, i thought there was some very comfortable passing um in previous seasons um when we tried that kind of passing i've had my heart in my mouth but um you know there was a, there was a period of pressure for about 10 15 minutes after the uh, after the first guy went in and, and obviously you say you know why 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 would we wait until then um but there there was some real forward momentum and, and there was a good period of about I would say thirty to thirty five passes at one point while Chelsea couldn't get the ball um which was which was good to watch um and I know Luca talked about that in his post match um, presser um so I mean why did it take the goal to get us going um because that suggests to me that we weren't beaten by a quality side um or um was it chelsea why wor- worrying that they'd uh, conceded because I know that they've had a few issues with conceding after going ahead recently um you know they, they've they've not always lost because of it or a lot of dropped points because of it. But um, you know they, they've they've had a, f- a few late goals go against them. So was it them worrying or was it us playing better? Um, and the other question I had was um, have the side got too used to IU chasing after everything? Um, I noticed Guaita an amazing game for Guaita. I thought uh, possibly my player of the match, but um, he was whacking the ball up to IU um, a bit too often. And when Patrick talked about having Benteke up there, um, the one thing Benteke has been great at, whatever his form, is knocking the ball back and holding up play. Well, IU can't do that. Um, So were we beaten by a side that just had more of the quality elements that we couldn't deal with?
3: It's a it's a really tough one because the obvious answer is yes, that we were beaten by a decent team and that was their sixth win on the bounce. You know, they're right up there in the table. They're playing with a hell of a lot of confidence right now. But I think you've picked the biggest point that I that I felt watching that game and, and in the aftermath, which is look at how they reacted to being pressured. So I'm going to pick out a player who got an awful lot of praise and we mentioned him earlier in terms of having... Wilfred's are in his pocket apparently and that's reese james okay so barely played first team football at premier league level now however good he is and will be and he, and he looks an incredibly talented young player and he's someone that we were trying to get on loan to um, to play right back for us for most of the summer as well so undoubtedly a good player but he will have been nervous prior to that game and i genuinely think You've got to go into a match like that and, and, and target a player who is, is inexperienced. You know, don't just have him facing up with Wilf. Have him facing up with Wilf and other people around him. Get him turned around. Get him run back. Force him on the back foot. Don't give him the opportunity to stroll around with the ball from, from the start of the kickoff and, and build confidence. And that goes for anyone who turns, turns up and plays what was their the youngest ever Chelsea team in, in the top division. Because there's a weakness in youth as much as there's the exuberance and, and pace and confidence in in a young team playing well. You know, we've seen young teams playing well as, you know, for Palace, but we also know, you know how there's a fragility there. And sometimes a, a team can turn up, an experienced team like we are, we'll turn up and just play, just use that experience to, to really unsettle a, a young team. And we just didn't try that. And that's what I, what I hated about watching that performance. Because we showed in that moment where we actually went for them, put them on the back foot, that they did, they wobbled. And if you do that before you go one nil down, before we start chasing the game, you can get your noses ahead and then it doesn't matter quite as much. And then maybe the crowd gets unsettled. We're too busy sometimes just trying to think about the nil nil and trying to think about eking out a point. That we forget that sometimes I said it before, it's a cliche, but sometimes the best best method of defence can be attack.
5: Yeah, and and I'll tell you, this is the thing. The yesterday's game particularly bothered me more than others, and I'll tell you why. Chelsea is what I'd like us to be. Now, before people jump on me and say, well, we can't be Chelsea. We don't have a billionaire owner. I get all that. I do. I understand where they're coming from. But because of this, this thing that I put on top and they couldn't, the transfer embargo, they went out and went and got a young manager. There was no way Lampard gets that job if they, the embargo had not been on. they got a bigger manager and got a bunch of players like he's done in the past and probably done new, who knows what. They have a young manager. I'd love to have a young manager like Yann Lampard, obviously. They've got young players. You talk about Rhys James. They've got Fakayo Tomori. They have Mason Mount. They have Tammy Abraham. They have the American Christian Pulisic. We don't have one young player that comes close to any of those players as far as age and ability. None. The thing with Hodgson was he doesn't give... Flair players a chance. He doesn't give youth a chance. The only reason why... I'll like say it again. Wambas like Akabay last year because Ward got hurt. Ward's hurt Again. Will another right back come to the academy? No chance, because not one of them's ready, probably. So it's so frustrating to see a, a young, the youngest, like you just said, uh, Hambo, youngest Chelsea team do so well with a young manager because you know they're set up for a, a great future. Don't think it will mess them up is if they get the embargo lifted now and they go out and spend a bunch of money in January and mess it up because they're set up to win. They just are, and they've got 30, 40 players on loan now. And that's my frustration. We we don't have a young team. We don't have a young manager. We don't have young players coming through. It's just so hard to watch. And the style of play that we play is so difficult to watch. It really is. I wouldn't mind if we were... I mean, I see Sheffield United, they go away to games. And they, and they go for it. They try. I know they're a newly promoted team. And that's another thing I want to say. We acted like we are a newly promoted team yesterday. We just played like we've been in the league for a year. Not six, seven years. It's like, what are we doing? Where What are we progressing in? I it's so frustrating to watch that. I just feel like we're just we're not going backward, we're just treading water. And it, what is the point of that at this point in our Premier League life? You have to be going forward. If you're not going forward, in life, you're going backwards. And that's what frustrates me. That game yesterday was so tough to watch because Chelsea is doing everything that I want to do and we're doing basically nothing that I want to see us do as far as going forward.
4: I think the downside to that is the fact that we haven't got the young players on the same level uh as the players that you listed at Chelsea. And that's for a variety of reasons. I mean, we haven't got Tammy Abraham at the Academy. I know people would say, oh James, they, but he's not Tammy Abraham. No way he is. Uh, we haven't got Reese James. And then again you could make the argument that who knew that we had a wan Bissaka like he just came out of nowhere. But I mean that's why it goes I go it goes back to my point of it's important to stay in the Premier League and make sure that we develop within, such as the academy and the stadium. It's academy especially, that category Category one improvement uh, would be massive on different levels. One for the academy players actually face a better position. And second of all, um, we've got the catchment area. It will, be, it, it will help us attract the better players as well. But in regards to that, I'd, I would like a young manager as well, but I, st- I still feel like it wouldn't work in the same way it's worked for Chelsea because I don't think we've got talented young players on that level at this stage of their careers right now
0: well I'm just going to bring in a couple of comments from people um, one of them is from Eastern Eagle and I'm not sure if uh, he's saying this is hyperbole or whether it's absolutely true but um, here's the Parish and Hodgson legacy the oldest side fielded in Palace and Premier League history bar none um, whether that's true or not I don't know it's not it's definitely not that far off it. Um So, you looked at, apparently, yesterday was Chelsea's youngest ever side, according to Match Today. It's got to be one of our oldest. And then Charles Meyer, as much as it pains me to say it, we can't can't complain. We can complain all we want, but Chelsea are the far superior team. Their press was outstanding. They're passing and they took the chances they needed to take. Um, I mean, we certainly didn't. But having said that, uh, statistics were we had three shots, one on target, um, we started the Galo chant of, um, we got one on target at about 85 minutes. Uh, there wasn't much to cheer about. They had 23 shots um, and 60% possession. Um, so I think we did the best we could uh, while we were there at the ground yesterday to make a noise for ourselves. Um, they put us in a terrible place in the stadium. could barely hear ourselves sing. Um, yeah, it was a tough old afternoon in general.
3: Yeah. I yeah, I mean look, there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on there. I think look, what, what what old Chuck Meyer said in terms of the fact that Chelsea were a far superior team, I think we do have to point that out in everything that we've said today, um, and as frustrating, frustrating as it might be for a number of reasons, not least those outlined by Patrick, that that, you know, we kinda of look at Chelsea and think that's what we want to be. Um, they are a, a very good side and they've invested huge sums of money and time and effort. And there's been a huge amount of turnover in that academy to get the kind of cream of the crop that's coming through now. You know, and I do, you know, we do have to look at it with a little bit of jealousy. Um, what made me laugh and talking about listener content and all that kind of stuff and, and comments on social media um, Nav tweeted during the game, I think it was at half time, and he said something like 55 minutes Chelsea will go 1 0 up, and then Roy's two subs will be. I think it was Benteke on for IU and Coyote on for, uh, off for M- McCarthy. And he was nearly bang on. I mean, it was 52 minutes we went 1-0 down, so he was three minutes off with that. Coyote did go off for McCarthy later on, but it was Jeff Schlapp on for McCarthy. But so he nearly got the subs and the timing and everything right about what was going to happen at half-time. And it really just it hurts to, we're that we're that predictable. You can even predict the times that we're going to concede uh, and, and the subs that we're going to use. Um, and I just found that pretty amusing. But having said that, as, as amusing as that is, it is a is a sort of sad indictment of where we are at the moment. And I think if we just had that little bit of unpredictability again, I go back to these types of results and these types of games would be a lot easier to handle. But you know, again, I don't want, I don't want to lose the fact that. You know, losing to Chelsea is, is going to happen to a lot of teams this year, isn't it? So let's, let's not get too upset about it. Mike, I know you brought up the fact that what we're we going to do now, Ward is injured, and I'm, I'm interested to know what you think about that. Well, I was about
0: to give a few forward word reviews. Uh, there's a bit of light relief before we uh, we hit the, the Ward thing, if that's oh, all right.
3: Go for it!
0: Cy so Pizzi of this parish said, Free, Meyer and Kamerasa. Uh Charles Meyer, as we said, Chelsea are far superior. Rob, too, liked watching paint dry uh, at times. That was definitely the case uh, whilst getting wet in their dodgy stadium. Um, CPFC in the States, toxic negativity from Twitter. There's certainly plenty of that yesterday. Um, Mark Drew, bottom lower half team. That is harsh, considering... I watched the highlights of Southampton yesterday and if we're anything like the standard of them, that is not good. Kevin Guiter saved three goals. Guiter was absolutely excellent. Yep. Jason Babin, Babin uh, we didn't even try. Now, I think that's very harsh because um, I think they put a hell of a shift in yesterday and they were beaten uh, just about every department by a, a team that's on fire. Um, so me, 85, beaten by a better team. Um, Rob Coleman I think, uh, creativity on the bench um, Yeah, I think he's probably tongue in cheek there Andy W and now a few people said stuff like this please drop Zaha now um, I guess we'll come on to this before we end um, he got a lot of stick he got a lot of stick and I don't know what else he could do um, plenty of people put in the four word reviews uh, reviews that weren't four words um, between one and about 500 so um, I, missed, I missed those up Stuart Gibbon by a bloody striker um, Bill Riella, Riella Riella sorry Bill quite lets in two I think that's a comment about Hennessy um, but I think probably Hennessy would have let in more than two uh, Rick Davis board of this now um, I think that echoes some of the points um, Adam Roy out now please okay uh, Lee Jameson was obviously very angry left about 20 comments awful tactic once again um, El Diablo too negative to hope um, we've got we, we got a lot of comments here um, <clears throat> Richard Tate when will we score um, I mean we certainly it has been depressing that we've when we've lost games we, um, we've lost without at least getting one back a lot of the time uh, Peter of retire now, please. Roy, um, that's let's... that's quite a harsh one. Yeah, uh, and let's uh, finish with uh, make Benteke great again. Love to be able to do that. We are so boring. Okay.
3: Well, there we go. Some, I mean, again, so most of those comments, I would say, came directly after the final whistle, didn't they? Um, so quite reflective of the mood after the game. But I, I think most people touching on a lot of the the, the topics that we've talked about and the, and the detail that we've given, which was, you know, I think Roy set himself up for criticism by choosing the bench that he did, and we talked earlier about why, you know, what what you can read into that, um, but. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard It's hard to argue with that. I do think you can't, you've got to watch being disrespectful, um, particularly things like retire now. I I'm not comfortable with that, um, even if you do want Roy to leave. Um, but look, let's, let's I, I mean, Wilf was talked about that. And I know we said we'd talk about Ward, so we'll do that in a bit. But let's get, get straight onto the Wilf stuff because he didn't have a good game at all, was really, really struggling. We've talked a little bit about the reasons for that. So let's talk a bit about, you know, respecting the player. I I can totally understand people saying that, you know, perhaps the right thing would have been to sell in the summer, but let's not ignore the facts that we've been given and the facts that we've been given are we didn't actually get an offer of an acceptable value. You know, Arsenal weren't anywhere close um, and Everton were were 20 to 30 million off and not not the right club really to be selling your best player to either. So let's not pretend that there was a mistake made there. Um, but, you know, there's no doubt about it. Currently, we're not seeing the best of Wilfred Zaha in a Palace shirt, and there's a whole myriad of reasons why not, but does any of that mean that we should be disrespecting a player that's played that much football and been that brilliant for us um, over a a huge amount of time? And and for me, it's verging on unforgivable, some of the stuff that's been said right now, and I just just hate to see it. Well, I just want to talk about the, the grounds. Because you, you you don't tend
0: to get too much negative comment um, in a away game. Obviously, you get people frustrated, um, you know, shouting obscenities, that kind of thing. But there was an undercurrent of um, dislike and disrespect towards Wilf. Um, people felt he, he he wasn't he wasn't doing his bit, um, which I found quite at odds with what I saw on the pitch. I mean, he was in a totally thankless situation um him and him and i u were isolated beyond belief um not much opportunity with them to link up with each other, let alone with anyone else um and he did do his bit he he was he was marked well um and at times he beat james um and i thought i thought he played fair, he, he did as much as he could um but i, I was i've never heard such abuse towards him um for, from his own fans and it, it was it was a bit of a toxic atmosphere. The only toxic atmosphere I can remember from an away game in in recent years. Odd. It was a lot to do with the stadium and the the way that they'd made the H F stand in a, in an area where they couldn't influence anything and the stewards and that kind of thing. But it, it it was it was worrying. The thing with with Wilf is
4: it's not a fact that he's had a bad game. Even at the Everton game, though, when he did come on, there were a couple of boos. Then I feel like. Um, there's certain people in the fan uh, in the fan base who have turned on him for what happened in the transfer window and him gi- giving in a transfer request on the last day of the window. Some feel like he disrespected the club like that. And that's their opinion, fair enough. And I feel like that's the reason why we're seeing more negative comments about Wilf after games because it's easy for them people to say, just get rid of him because they feel some type of way after what he's done Um <clears throat> what he done in the summer. So I know uh, with me for well if he if you pay 60 to 70 million he's yours, but as a club I feel like we should try to keep him as long as possible. He just turned 27 today, um is his birthday and he's at his peak. So if if we try to keep him on and after Hodgson and another manager comes in then I feel like we might see the best of will but even this season we haven't he, he has had some good games i know he hasn't been a great season overall he's only got one that says but he has had some good games where he's influenced it in particular wolves and Norwich um i feel like it just over these um last three to four games where we've played top six sides that's where he struggled a bit but the whole team has struggled due to how we've set up so i don't feel like it's all will's fault
5: Yeah, the transfer window was definitely the impetus in the transfer request he put in, but I think people are deflecting. Let's be honest. Wolf has been negated by his own manager, and people don't want to go after Hodgson, and I get that. So they're going after Wolf because Wolf is easy to go after. And I'm with you, Dio. I think that he has had some good games, and yesterday wasn't his best, but we touched the ball for the first time in Chelsea's box on the 38th minute or something like that. It was when MacArthur ran the ball out for a a goal kick. How is that Wolf's fault? I mean, we're not getting the ball to our best player enough yesterday, and and that was the issue. So to just get on Wolf's case, I you know listen, I wasn't there. Um, I could tell that the fans were um were upset based on what reaction and I read on Twitter, and then Mike has confirmed it at the ground. But I just think they're picking on him because again, he wanted to leave, uh, rightfully so. And I think honestly, we should sell him in January and get whatever we can. I don't think we'll get what we wanted to get in the beginning, but he deserves to go on to play for a a. a Play for somebody else because at this point, why would he? Why is he staying here for? What are we going to do? It's been to me. Hodgson's shown we're not going to progress. We're not going to go anywhere. So why stay? Yeah, we were in a fourth position, of fifth or sixth after three or four matches, and that looked great. But let's be honest. If we we are a sixteen to twelfth place side, and we're not going to make a cup run, so why would he not want to leave? So fans want to go in his case. I'm not going to be one of them because I'm a huge Will fan. I just think that. People get on his case are because he's wasn't he hasn't been great this year. But again, that comes down to me more than why the that we use have been totally anti him being doing good as opposed to him just playing poorly.
3: Yeah, I have to agree with that. You know, for me, whenever he does go, that it's going to be a very dark day for Palace, and I think it will be a shame if even one person, Carlos, kind, of, kind of celebrates him leaving, other than kind of for the fact that you you touched upon, which is, you know, why on earth would we want to keep him? In, in, if we're going to go about things the way that we are. Um, and look, there's and you can get into the analysis of why we play the way we play and maybe we if we spent differently and got different players in, in the window, Wilf would have more support and Roy would have more support, all those kind of things I get that you can argue about. But the, the bottom line is right now, that's that the other factor to consider is how the longer we keep Wilf and the longer we continue to play in the way that we're playing, um, when's he going to shine? When's he going to look like the player... Because that's what's that's also what's affecting people. Because people, when people think about Will, particularly those who've followed his career for a long period of time, you think about him running at pace, full of confidence, full of tricks, and we don't see that anymore. And it's been a while since we do see. We see it in flashes here and there, but he has he does a much more functional role now, and he plays a much different position than he's ever played for us under Roy. So. You know, we're almost at a position where, if you're if you're sitting in in Steve Parish's seat and you're thinking about the value you need for Wilf and how important he is to Palace, you're possibly even questioning that right now and thinking, well, hold on, you know, if I keep him another, convince him to hang around another season is he going to be worth £20 million less by the end of it? Because, you know, he, he needs to be shining as much as he always was to keep that kind of lofty value that we had. And we were talking, you know, we are talking 100, 100 million quid because he's a difference between us staying up and going down in the league. And I don't, I don't think we're there anymore. Well, let's
0: go from uh, a player who may be struggling under Hodgson to somebody that was flourishing until he got injured. Um, and it was, it was really worrying. Um, Joel Ward going off injured. Obviously, Kelly coming on in his place. Um, it's underlined the fact that we don't have a right back. Um, didn't buy one at the start of the summer, and uh, over the summer, and we talked about that plenty. Um, I thought Tompkins had a had a poor game, and still isn't, isn't either isn't up to scratch or, or isn't working with Cahill well. Um, was out of position for the first goal, I thought anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I, I would say that. Without Ward, well, that's that's a big loss because um, defensively, we, we almost everything was done that could be done against Chelsea, and and possibly I think the only person that was at fault for anything was Tompkins and that splitting hairs. Um, so a huge loss, and I don't really know what we're going to do against Liverpool because it doesn't sound like he's going to be back.
3: No, we expect obviously Kelly to continue in that position, but you know you can be damn sure that if we mess something up in the transfer window and miss out on signing a player and end up with one option in one position. That player is nailed on going to get injured. That's just what happens with Palace.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be Kelly. There's no doubt. And the only other option will be Tompkins. Again, it's too bad that we haven't tried at some point to uh, put a couple of youth players that can play right back on the bench and give them the experience and have them go in and get lucky with like Juan Basaka did. But it's not going to happen. But Campbell's right. The one position that we didn't really want left back with the other one we have no backup. We lost a striker, we'd be fine. If we lost them central midfield, we'd be fine. Even a wide player, we just shuttled out MacArthur out there. But you're right. Now that the one vision we can't afford to lose, next to me, the goalkeeper, and now we've lost him. And I mean, that comes down to me. Yeah, transfer was an issue. We should have bought someone. But it also comes down to the fact that we don't develop any younger players that could maybe step in there like, like Aaron did last year. Which
3: well, really interesting as well, because I don't watch the, you know, the youth team as much as I would like to. But it looks like we've mainly been playing players out of position at right back throughout the kind of youth system. Now, whether or not we're trying to stumble upon another Wampus um I think it's Malachi Boteng who's been playing there of late, who's sort of either centre back or central midfield at times. And, and he's been pushed back into that position. He's doing pretty well. But, you know, you, you, if you're talking wan territory, he's probably got 18 months playing in that position before we, we decide if he's, if he's going to fly or not. But, you know, there's obviously talent in the in the youth system but yeah we're, we're, we're not in a position where we can dip into that that pool of talent and put something throw someone in for exactly the reason you say Patrick and that's that people just aren't just haven't been given given any real exposure to the to the first team those that have I think are obviously Sam Woods and, and Luke Dreyer um, are, are the two that have really been spending the most time in and around the first team squad and you know whether or not Sam Woods could play it right back I'm not so sure it's um is certainly probably not in the Premier League. You'd suggest, but it's a difficult one, isn't it? And you know, Wardy has been brilliant um, and and really surprised me. And you know, I I feel quite sheepish about that fact because I was I was really very worried at the start of the season. and Kind of you know, t- toed that line of being a bit disrespectful. I still maintain he has toed her own feet, but but he's um yeah he's just grown in confidence, and it's a it's a terrible timing for the injury not just for us, but for him as well, because playing some of his best football, I think. But there we go. Look, we didn't, we didn't talk too much about the game. You know, we, we talked about the fact that Tompkins, um, you know, had that chance and could have changed it. And Mike, you've obviously mentioned there as well um, that he was probably at fault for that first goal. There's not a lot we can do about the second goal because um, obviously we were chasing the game at the time, midfielder a little bit higher. It's just a, just you know basically people not going with runners, but it's that typical goal you can see when you are trying to chase a game. But you know you have to say the first goal is probably preventable if the defence work as a unit, and you had three of them in a line, and, and Tompkins stepped up. Tiny little error, almost insignificant if the ball from Williams not quite as good as it was. Uh, but ultimately, I think that's what cost us the game uh, more than anything.
0: My only other comment at the game, really, um, I think our, our move of the game, Zahar put in an excellent cross in the end, and it was our only shot on target. It was a tame effort from James McCarthy. Um, he was in so much space. He should have done better than hitting it straight at the keeper at about eight miles an hour. Um, I was I was a little bit annoyed about that. Um, but if we, if we just go through for some last comments... Listener contact in general, Eastern Eagle, who we've already heard from, clearly a little bit upset, but I um, pointed out two players who we paid 30 million each for, played less than two hours between them and are worth 10 million. Well, OK, fair enough. Uh, any creative play destroyed by by play, being played out of position or not at all until their confidence is shot to bits. Um, so maybe a mention of that before the end. Uh, Michael Casey, uninspiring to watch. Creativity in the team vanished. Now, do we reap what we sow with Wardy being injured? Yeah, we've just discussed that. Mark Jones, I'm at the point now where I question what the team actually does Monday to Friday. Uh, It's the same shite football every weekend, no intensity and no idea in possession. Forgot about plan B. And then George, who who asked to come on the uh, pod to talk about this. Um, (laughs) And I've messaged him and said, you're welcome to record a comment and we'll discuss it. Schlupp needs to start. (laughs)
3: This is that's George who's on his like third or fourth Twitter account. Uh, it it is, it? yeah. Um, Entertaining low. I think we need to get him yeah. on personally. Yeah, well why not? Eh? what the hell? Shake things up a bit, wouldn't it? Um yeah, thanks for that, George. Not sure I agree, mate, but I know you're a you're a big fan of Jeff and uh, you're not the only one. There's a there's a certain older gentleman who's a massive fan of him too. Um but there we go. Look, it was a tough one, a tough one to take. Very, very tough. Run. It doesn't get any easier for the next game, which of course is Liverpool at home in a couple of weeks. But what that does mean is we get a, a week off. The preview show gets a week off. Dr, you don't because you'll be back at Love Sport on a on a weekly basis, Tuesdays and Tuesdays, <laughs> um, Tuesday and Tuesday. Yeah, but I'm just getting overworked. Yeah, you're loving it though. You're you're the video guy. You're the uh, the Love Sport guy. You're on the review show. That's you know, what you're all about. And hey, you know, there might even be something else in the offing. Which, which I'm not going to say any more about. Oh. There might be eight. something else <laughs> <Yeah>. DR related. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. There. Not only me. No, no, not only, not only mainly, me. mainly you. <laughs> My hero. Yeah, absolutely right, Patrick. He's he's everyone's hero. I think. Um, I mean, we got we got a lot of positive um, comments last week about the milk chat. So hopefully they feel the same about our um, climate change and vomit chat from earlier on as well. eh? Anyway, yeah, just make sure to listen to the Love Sports Show. Yeah,
4: yeah. We'll talk about. Also, leave your uh, leave your comments down as well on Twitter. Um, what you want to hear from last sports show? You might want to hear something in particular. You might want us to discuss uh, something that we didn't discuss in the review show. So you could let us know. Yeah, and in,
3: in particular, if you want to hear any of um any of Charlie G Hawkins' stories from his time on EastEnders as Darren Miller, um, do get in touch and try to force Charlie to talk about those on air because I'm absolutely sure he's sick of it, and I just think it'd be really funny. Um. I'm going to actually ask him this week. I I, I haven't asked him about you said. Can symptoms. you ask him what happened to the baby he had with Heather? Um, It'll confuse him because it's not real, but yeah. uh, I just need to know. I, um, all right. <laughs> just remind me. <yourself, laughs> I like, will. Just remind me. I, right, I go the show. All right. Okay. No problems at, oh, all, at awesome, all. But yeah, man. please do um, check out the Love Sports show 8 to 9 pm live, but also released as a podcast shortly afterwards. So thank you very much to Sam for producing and being ever so patient which she's clearly got a hangover after how drunk she was yesterday. Um, Thank you very much to Patrick, to DR, and to Mike, to you for listening. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye.